Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Private Library Podcast, Episode 2. Um, today, we are going to be reading from Super Sundays by Ken Rappaport. Mm, listen, uh, some people are probably going to get mad at me because we're not doing Jengis. Uh Listen, I'm going to try to do an episode around like Thursday or Friday, going back to Jengis. I was just, uh, I'm in the middle of researching for the, the second episode, and it's just a lot. And I, I want, like, I, I like to read through the book and so I can do my synopsis on it so I can keep everyone caught up. And I don't want to, I don't want to miss things that are important. So I like to read ahead so I make sure I catch, you know, any foreshadowing, stuff like that. So I'm just trying to make the next episode of Jengis quality and I want to half-ass it. So I'm just going to... I wanted to put an episode out on Monday still so that you guys can still get your, your fill of content, but I'm going to try to start doing two episodes a week, so stay tuned for Jengis. I'm very sorry if that's what you were here for. Uh, but yeah, so this book is a collection of 20 different stories from 20 different NFL players. We got Steve Bartkowski, OJ Simpson, who is, we're going to read from OJ today, of course, Lenny Moore. Archie Manning, who we're also going to read from because he's one of my favorites. Uh, Bill Burgey, Reggie McKenzie. Also, sorry, guys, this came out in 1978. If I mispronounce a name, I know they're legends or whatever, but bear with me here. Uh, Brad Van Pelt, Rocky Blyer, Doug Williams, Jim Zorn, Daryl LaMonica, Bob Thomas, Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch, Gail Sayers, Lyle Alzado, Johnny Unitas, Harold Carmichael, Ahmad Rashad, Conrad Dobler, and Ron Jarkowski. But uh, I'm not just going to read through it in full. You guys should, you know, you can DM me, comment on the Instagram post, whatever, uh, who you want to hear from next. But today we're just going to do OJ Simpson and Archie Manning just because that's who I'm the most interested in hearing about. Um, but yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, we're going to start with OJ. Because OJ, this is so this is obviously before OJ uh, didn't murder that chick. So obviously, th- like this is when he was still just a football player. So it's pretty interesting how they're going to be talking about him and uh, how he's just like a hero still. So that's pretty cool. And uh, this story comes from OJ's UCLA days. And, uh, yeah, let's just get right into it, man. The story kind of speaks for itself. Pretty legendary story. Um, if you know, if you're a fan of OJ's football history, you probably know about this one. So, wow. We got a dog barking in the background. Gotta love it. I don't even have a dog. Alright, so, uh, yeah, let's get into it. OJ Simpson. It isn't difficult to pick out O.J. Simpson's greatest day in football, the day he surpassed Larry Brown in the last game of the 1972 season to win the National Football League rushing title. No. The day he set an NFL record with 250 yards in the opener of 1973. Uh Uh-uh. The day he became the first player in pro football history to reach the 2,000-yard mark in a season. Absolutely not. All of the aforementioned would be pretty big days in anybody else's record book, but none are OJ's greatest. His greatest day, he says, happened when he helped Southern Cal beat UCLA 21-20 in 1967, 
thereby claiming a Rose Bowl berth and number one national ranking in all-in-one glorious afternoon. For a single game, period, nothing could top that, Simpson says, unless I have a great day in the Super Bowl. Actually, that game was a college Super Bowl. It matched the nation's number one and number two teams, bitter rivals from the same city, with the Rose Bowl and national championship at stake. As an added touch of glamour, both teams boasted the nation's leading Heisman Trophy candidates in Simpson and UCLA quarterback Gary Bedden. You could not possibly have have had a game that meant more to the people involved, says Simpson. If both teams had lost nine of their previous games, that would still be the big game of that year. The game, That game would have salvaged the season, but there were fighting not only for the championship of Los Angeles, but for number one ranking in the nation as well. Simpson scored two touchdowns that day, including one spectacular 64-yard run that provided the Trojans with their winning score in the last quarter. Ironically, Simpson was not in the mood to run at that particular moment because he was, quote, too tired. I had just run the kickoff back and just carried the ball, recalls Simpson. Quarterback Toby Page asked me if I could run again. I said, no, I was breathing hard. So Page called a pass play. But the minute he got on the line, he changed it by audible and called my running play, the 23 blast. And I figured, darn, what are you, what are you doing, Page? All I could do was react now. The ball was snapped, and I'm running the, the 23, and 64 yards later, I'm in the end zone. And it turns out to be the biggest play of the year for us. The game was clearly the highlight of Simpson's meteoric two-year career at Southern Cal. Once an untamed youth in San Francisco's ghettos, Simpson literally ran away from his past to become one of the nation's most honored football players. An exceptional two-year career at the City College of San Francisco, a junior college, established his credentials for Southern Cal. There, he became Coach John McKay's workhorse in 1967 and 68, carrying the ball 674 times in that, in that period for an average of 32 times a game. He established NCAA records for the most yards rushing in a season, 1880 in 1968, and most gained in a career, 3,540 3, in just two years. He also scored 36 touchdowns in that short period, winning the Heisman Trophy as the nation's best collegiate football player in 1968. Simpson quali quali Simpson's qualities of speed and power made him an ideal combination of two backs. He could run outside like a halfback or inside like a fullback, and McKay rarely hesitated to use him in either capacity. If you don't have OJ carrying 35 to 40 times a game, pointed out the quick-witted McKay, it would be like having Joe DiMaggio on your team and only letting him bat once a game. A big day against Texas in the second game of the 1967 season, during which Simpson rushed for 164 yards, established a high profile for him on the national scene. Then he amassed 190 yards against Michigan State. 163 against Stanford, and 169 against Notre Dame. Simpson was injured late in the season, but re recuperated in time to play in a crucial UCLA game. And what a game it was. Bevin showed why he was the class quarterback in the country, directing three UCLA touchdown drives. Simpson showed why he was the class tailback, flowing through UCLA defenders time and time again for chunks of important yardage, despite playing on a throbbing, injured right foot that required a special sponge cover. It was Simpson's 13-yard 13 13 -yard touchdown run that provided the Trojans with a 14-7 lead at the half. 
Later came what he considers the biggest play of his football career, with Southern Cal losing 20-14 to as the result of Bebin's second touchdown pass of the day. Simpson returned the kickoff and then ran two straight short yardage plays. I was really kind of dragging, he says. It wasn't that I didn't want the ball. I had already carried some 30-odd times, and I just needed one play to get my wind. It happens a lot in pro and college ball. You know, give me one play to rest. Page originally was not going to use Simpson for the play from the Southern Cal 36-yard line, but when the teams lined up, the quarterback noticed that UCLA defenders were anticipating his pass play. At this point, he switched signals to the 23 blast, a play whereby Simpson lined up deep and went through the left side of the line between guard and tackle. Simpson heard it called many times during the 1967 season, and when it worked, he could expect to get anywhere from 5 to 15 yards out of it. But nobody expected what happened next. Guard Steve Lemaire and tackle Mike Taylor declared, cleared Simpson through a huge hole. One writer commented, as it unfolded, it looked like maybe a five-yard gain. But then Simpson veered toward the left sideline, and the writer repraised the situation. Oh well, a 15-yard gain and a first down. Suddenly, though, Trojan end Ron Drake was blocking out UCLA's defensive halfback, and the Bruin safety was cut out of the pitcher, too. And there was Simpson, turning toward the middle of the field, floating to his right, and nothing but open land appeared before him. Soon he was exerting his great speed, and the 90,000-plus fans in the Los Angeles Coliseum and millions more on national television knew he would not be brought down. Every time I think of that run, says Simpson, I think about Muhammad Ali's fight in 1964 with Sonny Liston. I could identify with Ali because he had reached a point in the fifth or sixth round where they had to push him out of the corner. Something was in his eyes and he didn't want to go out, and his handlers literally had to push him out. Two rounds later, he was champion of the world. Well, in that UCLA game, it was most likely they pushed me out of my corner. I was really straining. I was so tired after that run, all I could think of was kick the extra point. The score was tied 20-20 at that point, and we, had a, and we had to win the game to get to the Rose Bowl. We couldn't tie. Ricky Aldridge, who, is not, who will not be remembered as much as Simpson, then kicked the crucial tie-breaking extra point for the Trojans. It's funny, says Simpson. There were still about seven minutes to go in the game, but it was about, to, it was about the fastest seven minutes I can ever remember. <clears throat> And when the game was over, it was like I was waiting for Gary Bevan to throw one of those miracle bombs he was famous for, especially against USC, which he had done a few second on a few occasions. There would be I, there would be other elated moments for Simpson after he joined the pros. The last day of the 1972 NFL season, I gained a hundred yards. You know, I've had better days, but I ended up leading the league in rushing. Simpson recalls. I was second behind Larry Brown going into that game, and Larry got hurt. I, re I can recall that being a big day. Nor would Simpson forget the opener of 1973 when his Buffalo Bills played the New England Patriots and he broke the NFL record for rushing yardage in a game. We had lost six preseason games up to that time, Simpson says. The Bills, in my professional career, had, had never won over four games in a season until that year. In that game against New England and Foxborough, I gained 250 yards, we won the opener, and it started what turned out to be the most successful season. And the Bills' first winning season since I was there. I think that game turned my pro career around, and even though, and even though the year before I led the league in rushing and I was voted most valuable player in the All-Star game, all of a sudden, you feel you've arrived. 
it was that day that I got my first NFL record. The Bills won the opening game, and it, and it just sort of started what turned out to be two or three very satisfying years. In the last game of the 1973 season against the New York Jets in the snow-covered Shea Stadium, Simpson broke Jeremy Brown's single-season rushing record of 863 yards. Simpson needed only 61 yards to break the record and wound up with a surplus. In fact, he not only smashed Brown's long-standing mark, he also broke, uh, broke ground previously untraveled by NFL runners in passing the 2,000-yard level. By the end of that 34-14 victory over the Jets, Simpson had totaled an incredible 2,003 yards for the season. When he came out on that field, there was no way I wasn't going to get the record, says Simpson. I only needed 61 yards, and you know, I, I would have gotten it if I had to carry the ball 67 times. That's funny. Simpson, of course, didn't, didn't need clearly that many carries to eclipse Brown's mark, and it was his 34th of the day, a 7-yard run, that brought him over the sacred 2,000-yard level. The guys carried me off into the locker room after I did it, recalls Simpson. Then they left to go back to the game. There were still four minutes left, the longest four minutes I can recall in a game. I was in the locker room all by myself, and I was just thinking, 2,000 yards! Wow, I gained 2,000 yards! I broke the record! And everything went through my mind at that time. High school, Southern Cal, and of course... I had I had had some rough years for my first four years in Buffalo, and I thought about all the coaching changes we went through at the time, and a public relations director we had in Buffalo, Jack Horrigan, who was dying of leukemia. When I was going through those tough times, getting to the point where I thought I couldn't stay in Buffalo anymore, he would say, you think you've got problems? Of course, I was aware of his situation and all. He'd just say, hey, you just stick it out, and it'll work out for you. All these things went through my mind and made me feel glad that I was a football player and a Buffalo Bill. It was a feeling I don't think I, I could have gotten if I was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys or the Los Angeles Rams and accomplished the same thing. It dawned on me that it dawned on me it meant that much more to me that it happened in Buffalo. Simpson, of course, had not been particularly happy when he he was drafted by the Bills. An NFL fan all of his life, San Francisco and Los Angeles being classic NFL towns. He bridled a bit at the thought of going to an American Football League town. I've never really followed the AFL, he says. Of course, I knew nothing and nobody on the Buffalo on the Buffalo Bills. There was never one person on that team that I had met, even casually. On the other hand, I had many friends on NFL teams. I was also a part of the. It was also a part of the country that I knew nothing about. But you know, I never complained that that I was drafted by the Bills. The problem was, I thought they weren't offering me a fair contract. I know I could have gotten more in Los Angeles or San Francisco. I guess, morally, it was hard for me to accept the fact that I was worth more to these teams and I could get more from these teams, so why should I accept less from a team that I didn't particularly want to go to? Now, if I could have gone there without the penalty of less money, I don't think I would have, been, I, I don't think I would have seen any hesitation. It would take some time before Simpson got adjusted to the new surroundings, but this warm-blooded Southern California product finally began to flower in Buffalo's icy environs by 1972, and by 1973 he was bursting out all over, thanks to a gallant offensive line. Some of these guys have been maligned, says Simpson, but they worked hard and did the job. I mean, they really did the job. We were running the ball at teams who knew, the, who, who knew we were running. We were only throwing three, four passes a game, and these guys still came through. 
I've never in my football career seen, let alone been a part of, such closeness and com camaraderie between a group of guys. I'm sure in 1983 we'll have a 10-year reunion somewhere. If things are going well with me, I'll see into it. In a typical gesture befitting his noble character, Simpson insisted that the players on the Bills' superb offensive line stand up and be counted with him at a press conference on the day after he reached the 2,000-yard mark. Then, on television, he introdu introduced each player by name. Simpson put that day right up there with the best of them. But great as it was, it falls, it falls yards short of one golden afternoon in the California sunshine. I know somebody's going to come along and break the 2,000-yard record, says Simpson. It's going to happen soon, especially with the new 16-game season. Sooner or later, pro records fall. But what happened in the Southern Cal-UCLA game in 1967, well, I don't know. That's something they'll still be talking about at USC 20 or 30 years from now. All right, well, that was pretty interesting. Um, O.J. Simpson did all that cool stuff, and then... He went on to uh, be a really just good member of society. He actually never committed any crimes. There was one time where they tried to frame him for a murder. It was just, you know, just the racist justice system. Um, but yeah, just a great story about a great guy. So uh, up next, we got Archman Archie, uh, geez, Archie Manning, Archie Manning. Because of the heat he was getting from all sides, figuratively and literally, Archie Manning will always remember his first game in the National Football League. The year before, he was the glamour player of, of college football at Mississippi, and his acquisition by the New Orleans Saints triggered a new high in optimism there. Many thought this dandy young quarterback would be the Saints' savior. I've been their number one draft choice, Manning recalls. I was the second person taken in the draft. The the Saints had traded off Billy Kilmer the year before, you know, to get me. So it was kind of like, well, we have this kid from Ole Miss here, and he's going to the, save the franchise. I mean, everyone was saying, here's the guy who's going to do it for us. I think even my teammates must have thought I was some kind of Superman. But they found out that Manning was only human after all, as he ran into contract problems and then an injury that kept him out most of the 1971 preseason games. I was late for signing, says Manning, so I didn't play in the first preseason game. I played in half of the second one, started the third one against Kansas City, and got hurt. I didn't play again until the last preseason game was against Houston. The Houston game, as were the previous exhibition contests, turned out to be a losing effort. So the Saints went into the 1971 season with an 0-6 record in the preseason play in the definite role of the underdog. The prospects for the season were scary. Manning remembers, especially since the Saints had to open the powerful open against the powerful Los Angeles Rams. At that time, Manning says, the Rams were right up there with the San Francisco 49ers in the Western Division, and the and Roman Gabriel was still the quarterback. They still had a great defense with the people like Coy Bacon, Merlin Olson, Deacon Jones. Marlon McKeever was still one of the league's top linebackers. Kermit Alexander was still playing, so they had a really good ball club. We had about 14 rookies on our squad, and I guess probably the only player that anyone ever heard of on our team at that time was receiver Danny Abramovich. A near-capacity crowd of 70,915 was on hand at Tulane Stadium to watch the Saints' new wonder boy. Little did they know, though, that he almost didn't start the game because of a combination of circumstances. 
I had been kind of a running quarterback in college, says Manning, so I went out before the game to do some running. I was all pumped up. My adrenaline was flowing, and I did a lot of running before the game. I did a couple of two, three, four hundred yard runs, and then a couple of forties. You know, I figured I would have to do some running that day with that front, with that front four that Los, that Los Angeles had, and I really wanted to get my legs good and loose. And I also threw a lot of passes in practice. Well, by the time I went into the locker room right before the game, I was just totally exhausted. As we were coming out onto the field, I felt as I was going to have to tell my trainer I couldn't go. I, I had had some cramps in my stomach too, I guess from nervousness, but I didn't say anything to the trainer because of embarrassment. The biggest fear of my life was having to tell the coach or the trainer that I didn't think I could play. The weather conditions that day didn't help any either. It was just unbelievably hot, Manning recalls. The humidity in New Orleans can just be incredible. It was the hottest ball game I've ever played in. They had just un they had just installed artificial turf in Tulane Stadium, and the sun bouncing off of it must have made the field about 127 degrees. The sun magnifies tremendously on a surface like that. It rained at halftime, and then it rained again in the second half, but the sun came out again, and it was just as hot as ever. I knew the Los Angeles Rams were just drained from the heat. Merlin Olsen and Deacon Jones were having spells and had to be sent in and out of the game at various intervals. And I remember they had a linebacker, Jim Purnell. He almost died after the game. They had to bring him into our dressing room and plug him into an oxygen machine. He was just white as a sheet. It was really dangerous. Not helping matters any for Manning was the ferocious Los Angeles defensive line, which sacked the brand new Saints quarterback six times in the first half, but Manning made up for it with a great second half. He wound up the game completing 16 of 29 passes for 219 yards and one touchdown. Abramovich, who, who had not done much preseason business, caught five of Manning's passes this day for 73 yards. It was a tight but sane first half with each team having only a field goal to show for its sweat. Skip Butler kicked a 32-yarder for New Orleans, and David Ray hit 131 yards for Los Angeles, both in the second period. Manning, whose passing in the first half had resulted in minus yardage, a first for the franchise, was a, was a different quarterback in the second. On the Saints' first possession of the third quarter, Manning moved them downfield in a hurry, passing 12 yards to Bob Newland, 21 to Parks, and then 22 to Abramovich for a first down at the Los Angeles 18. Five plays later, with the help of a great catch by Bob Greshman, Manning had the Saints in the end zone with a six-yard rollout pass to Parks. With the help of a fumble by Gabriel at the Los Angeles six-yard line, the Saints had the Saints had another touchdown less than three minutes later. Rich Neal recovered for New Orleans, and three plays later, Greshman dashed two yards into the end zone for a 17-3 Saints lead. The, fran the frantic third period finished shortly after Ray's 27-yard field goal for Los Angeles had cut New Orleans' lead to 17-6. At this point, the Rams were exhausted from the heat, but not dead. They quickly took advantage of an intercepted Manning pass to score a touchdown early in the fourth period. Gabriel, perking up after a flat three-quarters, completed a 29-yard touchdown pass play to Les Joseph Josephson to trim the Saints' lead to 17-13, to and the next time the Rams got the ball, they drove 63 yards in 11 plays, the last one a, the last one a one-yard touchdown plunge by Josephson. Ray's extra point gave the Rams a 20-17 to lead with less than five minutes remaining in the game. The score was still the same with a minute and 24 seconds to go with the ball in the Saints' possession resting on their own 30-yard line. 
Manny didn't have much time for a miracle. We called out a sprint we called a sprint out play, Manning remembers, and I hit Gresham for a good chunk of yardage. The pass play went for thirty seven yards up the middle to a loss to the Los Angeles thirty three. Now there was a minute and ten left. Then I hit Abramovich with a sideline pass, and I hit Abramovich later again and got an interference call. Manning's pass for Abramovich at the right corner of the end zone had been overthrown, but Jim Nettles was called for defensive interference. That put the ball on the Los Angeles one with 23 minutes remaining. We tried a running play and didn't get much, says Manning. Time was running out, and I used my last time out with three seconds to go. I went over to the sideline to talk it to talk it over, and of course the decision was whether to take a field goal and take a tie or go for it from the other from the one. As it turned out, Manning never got a decisive answer from Roberts. It's ironic, Manning says, now chuckling. I had gone over to the sidelines, and we were talking about two or three different plays we might run. But before we could make a decision, they came and got me back on the field, and the coaches never did tell me which play to run. So I went back in, I reverted back to my college days, and ran a sprint out. You know, a run-pass option. Actually, I don't think I, I ever thought about passing it. I turned it up and cut across the goal, and as soon as I hit the goal, I fumbled. It was a little scary at first. I didn't know whether I had actually scored or not. I just lay on the ground and waited for the reaction of the crowd. Fortunately, it was loud, and we had beaten them. Manning remembers that the Rams protested strongly about the suspect touchdown play, but to no avail. The final gun went off, and the Saints winning 24-20. to it was just an unbelievable first game for me, Manning says. My statistics were fairly good, and on top of that, we had beaten a great team in Los Angeles. For a rookie in his first NFL game, Manning also had held his mistakes to a minimum, even if his coach didn't think so. Remembers the quarterback. My offensive coordinator was a guy named Ken Ship, an old, slow-talking Southern guy who smoked a pipe. I remember on Monday, the day after the game, he told me, damn son, we had 69 plays, you made 4 mistakes. They were quarterback mistakes, not necessarily interceptions, but 4 things where I perhaps should have checked off, didn't do this or that. I was calling my own plays. The ironic thing about it was that I probably played about 7 more years before I had another game where I made that few mistakes. But I, but I set some sort of precedent for myself that I wasn't able to repeat. Game after game, I got it got a lot tougher than that. I really mean it. Playing under what he calls an awful lot of pressure because of his position at the team's number one draft choice, Manny took some time before blossoming into an NFL star. He did not He did have one solid year in his second season, 1972, when he completed 51.3% of his passes for 2,781 yards and ran for 351 more. But it wasn't until 1978 that he realized his potential. That year, he completed 291 of 471 passes, an excellent 61.8% for 3,416 yards and 17 touchdowns. In addition, he ran for 202 yards more. He capped the season with numerous awards, including Player of the Year in the National Conference, and in the Pro Bowl, he was instrumental in a 13-7 victory for the NFC. If anyone has come a long way, it's Manning, often referred to as a hook fin and shoulder pads because of his freckled, all-American boy look. I kind of magnified the pressure on me at, that, at the start, he says. I had contract trouble and couldn't get together with the team. I didn't even go to college all-star game because I hadn't signed. Coach Roberts was going, was going to play me. There wasn't any doubt about it. 
but I had not played in any kind of pro system in college. It was all new to me as far as reading the defenses and reading zone coverages and man-to-man -man and checking off. It was really different than the college system I had known, so it was a lot of pressure. So there was Arch Manning, college whiz at Ole Miss, quarterback of the quarter of the quarter century, 1950 to 75, in the southeast in the southeastern conference, thrown right into the professional fires in 1971 against the mighty Los Angeles Rams. Lucky for him, things fell into place, including his passes. Our defense was playing well that day, Manning recalls on his first game, and the Rams were kind of struggling. Gabriel, I remember, didn't have a good day for them. They were much superior to us in talent, really. But things happened for us. Like, we were down on the 10-yard line, and I threw a pass up the middle, and it got tipped in the air. Just a sure interception ball. One of my players, Gresham, and one of their players, Marlon McKeever, both went up for it. You know, it was really tipped high. It was like a jump ball in basketball, and they both came down with it. It was, it was a wrestling match, and we got the ball and went on in and scored. That's the kind of luck we needed for a game like that. Alright guys, well that was OJ Simpson and Archman's account of their most super Sunday. Uh, I think that was really interesting, especially Archman for me as a Saints fan. It's cool. Uh, I mean, obviously I wasn't or, like watching the Saints when he was playing, but it is interesting to hear about that uh, that history. I, uh, I, really, I really appreciate everyone for listening. I'm glad you stuck around. Again, Shangus will be later this week. Uh, but yeah, I'll see you guys later.